0: Well, good morning everyone, you're tuned to Community Radio 3CR, time is just after 7.30 and of course that means it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. As usual, we have to welcome back Stephen Ryan from Dicksoni Rare Plants. Morning, Stephen. Good
1: morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. And it was light when I left It's so light. I can't (laughs) believe it. Yeah, yeah, spring is definitely sprunging, and when you can get up at six in the morning and there's actually light, you know that the days are lengthening appreciably now. So, yes, and, and of course, the garden's looking springy. So, you know, I've got leaves breaking out on things even at Macedon. um, There's blossom
0: everywhere. There's daffodils everywhere. It's just unbelievable.
1: It's great fun. It's a lovely time of the year. So you have to get out in the garden every 10 minutes to make sure you don't miss something. And it's...
0: everything's going to take off.
1: Oh, yes. Yes, including the weeds. Yes. <laughs> oh, my sticky weed is going nuts around the garden, the cleavers. Ah. It's, uh Yeah, I've, I've got to get in. Well, I've been getting in and pulling as much as I can. But the problem is if you just run around the garden trying to grab one thing at a time then you never quite get to finish anything. So I'm trying to be I systematic know. and do sort of bed at a time, knowing full well there's some growing like mad sort of over in the far corner or whatever, but try to get each bed tidied up and mulched and things as I go.
0: That's but my problem. I keep getting – you get out there, you get started on something, you see something right next to you, and you think, oh, and you – Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, oh. and you do. You chase your tail around you and, and really in the end you don't accomplish much because if you're not systematic about it – Yep. Things get ahead of you so quickly because you do. You run around the garden trying to get everything done. It won't work. So, no. uh, so yes, I've I've cleaned up two major borders in the last week, um, uh, trying to get them tidied up. In between, going to open uh, open gardens Victoria schemes and go to Lee and Gather and open daffodil shows. And
0: how uh, was Lee and Gather? It was great
1: fun. It, it's a lovely show. I mean, I. Dare I say I've never actually been, but of course you know it's one of those. Well, I've never
0: been either. I mean, I just it's it's very hard sometimes to get away. Yeah,
1: well, it's a lovely show. I mean, I was very impressed. It was their 60th show, and uh, their their daffodil arrangements were fantastic. Their floral arrangements were great. They had a very good camellia section, uh, and there was kids' sections. You know, it was a real country flower show. Lovely, which was fantastic. I just adored it. It was great fun, and I did a talk after the opening, and uh, we had a hall of people, which was great, and yeah, so it was really good, and everybody was very um, generous and uh, uh, hospitable uh, down down there, and so there was lots of nice homemade goodies to eat as well, and it, yeah, it was a really good time, so I thoroughly enjoyed going down to Lee and Gatha, so Fantastic. good morning to you all down there. Yes,
0: <laughs> absolutely. We have to say good morning to AV. Bishop, good morning. Oh, good morning, good morning, and do you know what, Pam, I actually don't think
2: anyone's going to be listening to us today, because oh. I think they're all out in the garden. <laughs> well, maybe. You they know, all it's so springy, that you know. The it's other thing they could be doing, though, no
1: Ab, is they could be getting breakfast ready for Dad.
2: Oh, that's true. Happy yeah. Father's Day! Yes. Yes. Absolutely, to yes. So yes. Yes, all, all those
1: dads. Those, yeah, so the dads out there might be getting spoilt this morning. Oh, hopefully, yeah. yes.
0: Hopefully, lots of gardening tools. And, and
2: if you
3: haven't like
0: thought of something to give Dad, take him to the local nursery. Yeah.
1: Well, I actually had one of my clients came in yesterday uh, to buy a lovely little hand, uh, you know, one of those stainless steel garden trails for his Dad, because um, uh, it's something they can use forever. That's and right. So, yeah, so there's lots of things in nurseries and garden centres that you could buy for dad. Although I have to say, you should have thought about it last week. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear.
0: Better late than never, Stephen. Well, true, enough, true yep, enough. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, I'm going to get straight to some community announcements, and I know you've got some there too, yep. Stephen, but I'll get to some that are happening today. Uh, first up, a reminder that today is the second day of the uh, spring show up at Fernie Creek Horticultural Society. Ah, Now, they always have a fantastic spring show, and I can imagine their garden out there is looking just stunning at the moment. It should be splendid at the moment. Ten whole acres of brilliant garden they have up there, and they're doing guided walks today of the garden. Uh, But, uh, as I say, it's all happening. The address is 100 Hilton Road in Sassafras. Milways reference there is 66 E12, Uh, Open at 10 o'clock this morning, running through until 4 o'clock. There'll be officially judged flower displays. There'll be a sale of collectible plants at reasonable prices, vendors' plants for sale, refreshments, light lunches, sausage sizzle and Devonshire teas, ample free parking. Now, entry is $5 per person. Children under 14 are free. Also on today, as the second day of their show, is the Kyneton uh, Annual Spring Flower Show. This is taking place in the Kyneton Horticultural Society, uh, which is out at the Watts Pavilion in the Kyneton Showgrounds. Uh, This is in Mollison Street in Kyneton, 10 o'clock till 4.30 today. Highlights, daffodils, of course. Um, all sorts of sections of cut flowers, shrubs, pot plants, cacti and succulents, floral art, and a children's section. So that's all taking place today as well. If anyone
2: follows um, Millie's Instagram account, which is the Thrifty Gardener, you'll see you'll see that she's posted these incredible um, sculptures I suppose that kids have made out of fruits and vegetables okay and uh, yeah really really cute like melons and you know a melon that is um, you wouldn't want to get in the way of it looks very dangerous and all sorts (laughs) of things like that so yeah jump on and have a
0: look excellent okay now of course it's the first Sunday in the month that means Villa Alba is open now Villa Alba also hosted the other day a lecture and exhibition of fashion in the Victorian era, which was presented by the Kew Historical Society. And anyone going out to Villa Alba today, uh, those uh, selected costumes and uh, accessories from the collection will still be on show today. Uh, So the house and the R.J. Hamer Heritage Garden are open this afternoon, one o'clock till four o'clock Admission is $10, uh, concession $8, children are free, afternoon tea is available with a $3 donation and they are out at 44 walmer Street in Kew. Melway's reference there, 44H6. Now, uh, coming up on the 10th of S- September, which is next Saturday, the Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra Group have got their native plant and book sale 10 through till 4 o'clock. It's being held in the Eltham Senior Citizens Centre, 903 Main Road in Eltham. They'll have a huge range of native and indigenous plants, including short and tall grafts, organised by the Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra Group. Also, uh, I should mention for next weekend, both Saturday and Sunday, there's going to be an open, sustainable habitat garden. Now, this is at 65A Dickerson's Road in Heathmont. Now, this Australian garden features remnant bush and also includes other Indigenous plants, as well as native plants to attract wildlife and promote sustainability. There are a few exotic plants for sentimental reasons. I like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> grandma's, grandma's, uh, Daphne. Or... Yeah. yeah, well,
1: I've got grandma's Hoya. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Uh, as well as a raised garden, uh, vegetable garden, and a herb garden. Now, admission is $6. Children under, under 18, free. Students $4, no pets please, and refreshments will be available. All proceeds going to Oxfam. So that's next weekend, both Saturday and Sunday, 65A Dickerson's Road in Heathmont. Now also opening next weekend, and this one sounds really interesting. This is the next um, open garden for um, Open Gardens Victoria. Now this is actually... It's it's like one whole garden, as you'll, you'll find out, but it's Munro Court in Castlemaine. Now, uh, it's open, as I said, next Saturday and Sunday, 10 till 4.30. Entry price is $10. Children under 18 are free. Now, this is a Castlemaine development. It's a community of eight sustainably designed houses in Waterwise Gardens which sit around a small court. Now the gardens link the houses together, there are no fences, instead privacy is provided through courtyards and well-placed windows, walls and tall shrubs. Sam Cox designed and landscaped the gardens using large granite rocks, mulched planting mounds and water permeable gravel paths. In a sense, uh, Munro Court comprises one continuous single garden featuring hardy Australian plants native to the goldfields of central Victoria. Now there's also a vegetable garden, orchard, compost heap and hen house which are reached across a tree-lined creek and these are communally maintained and the produce is shared. Uh, The project commenced in 2002 with building completed by 2009 and the court now houses 18 residents ranging in age age from 3 to 93 years. Visitors will be able to explore all of the gardens and walk right around most of the houses with the owners on site to discuss the sustainability features of the designs. Now, um, there'll also be plant sales on the day. Francis Kincotta of Newstead Natives will have local plants for sale from 11am both days and there'll be uh, a talk given on each day. On the Saturday at 2 o'clock, Sam Cox uh, will talk about landscape aspects and collaboration with house designers and uh, on the Sunday uh, there'll be a brief outline and history of the project since inception in 2000 then a Q&A session with some of the residents. So a really, really interesting project. It's sort of like
1: a Bickley Vale in a, in yeah, a modern... A, a modern
0: Bickley Vale, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Which I think um, is
1: fabulous. And it surprises me there hasn't been more of this sort of thing. Well, actually, I mean, sort of Bickley Vale sort of set up the idea, yep. and it really hasn't happened yep. all that often, Yeah, sadly.
2: Down at, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of um, the, the project down at Cape Patterson, which um, a, a guy called Brendan Condon who owns Australian Ecosystems, um, which is a re-veg, uh, wetland re veg company, he's um, set up this um, uh, sustainable... Um, village, I suppose you 'd call mm. it, with you know all 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 houses are you know ten stars or whatever they are down there, and um, mm. they 've got the vegetable garden in the middle and and it 's the same sort of concept you know you come down you're light minded people and you live in this village area and yeah. and it 's all fantastic. about yeah sustainability and um, and not um, not leaving too mm. big a footprint
1: yeah well I think uh, this castle main one I think will be fantastic too because um part of the issue would be to see how well this sort of system can work in a fairly difficult climate. Yeah. I mean, Castlemaine gets right. really hot and dry in the summer. Yep. It's exceedingly cold in the winter, so it's a really sort of um, difficult climate to work with. Mm. Um, and if you've got what looks like a flourishing and, and attractive garden going, um, using endemic local natives and things, it's a, it's a... It'll be a really good sort of learning curve for everybody. So I reckon it's a fabulous thing, so everybody should get up there and have a look if they can.
0: Absolutely. Mm. And I, I do love the idea of, of, of a communally run um, vegetable garden, an orchard, you know, chook house. You, you wonder know, because... what
1: happens if somebody gets a bit greedy. <laughs> <laughs> now, what if somebody's making pesto and all of basil disappears? <laughs> disappears. Yes. <laughs> yes, you'd hope that they – you'd have to be able to work together on things like that, wouldn't you? I mean, if somebody was going to pinch all the as I'd have to make sure that the pesto went out to everybody. Yeah, wouldn't absolutely. It? Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. I'm
0: yes. I'm sure that they are well quizzed before they move into this environment. I, I
1: understand there are quite a lot of caveats and things yes, on the property. That's fair so, enough. yeah, so if you do decide you want to live in that particular environment, you have to follow the rules, which is well, fair, that's enough. fair enough. Well, it's fair
0: enough. But what a great way if, if you're not much of a gardener mm. to be in that sort of learning growing environment. I mm. mean, imagine all the children that are that have been brought up in uh, in that environment, um, you know, they're going to be helping, mm. they're going to be working in the veggie garden, they're going to be collecting the eggs, they're going to learn yeah. so much.
1: Yeah, so yeah, it sounds, sounds like a great event and something well worth supporting.
0: Well, as usual, our very good friends at Open Gardens Victoria have given us one free double pass. You can no, choose fantastic. either day to go to that. So the first person who rings in on 9419. 0155 can get that double pass for next weekend.
1: And what a nice day outing it would be.
0: Oh, it'd be (laughs) wonderful. Now, I've got one more to mention for next weekend. Uh, Next Sunday, 11th of September, the next Discovery Walk down at Geelong Botanic Gardens held by the Friends Group is Camellias and Other Chinese Wonders. Now, this takes place at 2 o'clock. Gold coin donation and uh, it's going through the camellia walk which is rich in colour of course at this time of the year and features some of old species not readily available and uh, camellias are just one of the Chinese wonders they're going to enjoy on the stroll. Uh, There's going to be all sorts of other um, Chinese plants in the gardens you can discover and hear about some of the plant hunters at the same time. So you meet the guide at the front steps at 2 o'clock as I said Gold coin donation. If you'd like more information, you can phone the Friends' office during the week on five triple two six zero five three. That's five triple two six zero five three. Stephen, you've got a couple of uh, notes yeah. These are there. slightly
1: more uh, later in the in the month and so forth, but uh, they're things that people should put in their diary anyway. Um, the weekend of the 17th and 18th is the Garden Lovers' Fair up at Mount Macedon where we'll have uh, about 30 stallholders in the beautiful gardens of Bollebeck. Um It's a $10 fee to get in. Children are free. Uh, you could spend the whole day there. So it should be a great uh, event. Uh, I'm looking forward to it this year. We're going to have um, speakers throughout the two days. I think I'm booked to do 1 o'clock on Sunday, I think, for memory. Um, so there'll be a speaker's marquee there and you can go in and listen to people talking about different subjects. I'm, I think I'm doing spring bulbs this year so I'm talking about some of the interesting spring bulbs um, and it's not just plant sellers, there'll be garden furniture, sculpture uh, all sorts of other lines, tools, all that sort of thing will be there to, to be seen and to be purchased and it's the major fundraiser for the Mount Macedon District Horticultural Society so if you wanted more information on it you could go into the website which is Mount Macedon Horticulture, all one word dot org dot au and find out more about it uh, the gardens uh, open or the garden and fair is open from ten a m to four pm uh, but admittance to the car park isn 't until nine thirty on both days so uh, so you can get in by nine thirty but uh, not before uh, so that 's beck and that 's on the seventeenth and eighteenth and the following week um, is of course the AGM and world-renowned plant auction for Plant Trust uh, that will be at Domain House on Thursday, the 22nd of September. Now, it actually opens at 6.30 for wine and cheese and for viewing of the plants. So you can come in, have a glass of wine, have some cheese and, and nibbly things um, and have a look at the plants that have been donated to- to be auctioned, Uh, and most of these plants come from commercial growers or collection holders, and so there'll be some fairly interesting bits and pieces. I've already picked up some things from the Bendigo Botanic Gardens because they hold two national collections up there, so I've got some plants out of their collections. Uh, And so it'll be an interesting evening. Uh, The actual auction itself starts at um, 8 o'clock. Uh, and yours truly is The Auctioneer, so I hope my voice hangs out for the the evening. You've been it up the day before. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's quite hard work, but it's a lot of fun. Um, And it's, again, a major fundraiser for Plant Trust, an organisation that helps to um, hopefully preserve some of the uh, biodiversity that we have within our amazing, diverse country. So um, so come along. It's a great night, and uh, I'm sure you'd enjoy it. And just – oh, it's at Domain House, by the way, in – Dallas Brooks Drive, so it's just down from the herbarium. Uh, It's the white building you can see on the right-hand side as you go down Dallas Brooks Drive. And just show up at 6.30. It's free. There's no charge at all. Uh, But, of course, do bring cash (laughs) (laughs) because we will take it away from you. Uh, And there will be a raffle and, you know, all sorts of things going on. So it should be fun. And another thing for the diary and something you need to book for and another thing I've got myself involved in, um, there's a marvellous property on the north of Mount Macedon called Ard Hilly. Uh, now, Art Hilly was originally owned by William McGregor, who was one of the original um, directors of BHP. Okay. Um And he bought this site on the north of Mount Macedon uh, as a – damp, cool retreat from being in Broken Hill and such places, uh, and built his Scottish manor house, basically. Um, and he incl- he put locks in, not lakes, and all sorts of things up there. And he had one of Australia's first trout hatcheries. Uh, he reputedly had deer and wild boar uh, on, the, <laughs> on the property. Um, and uh, quite an eccentric character. He
0: sounds um, like a lad. Yeah, he was a
1: bit. <laughs> yeah, he, actually, I think he was a bit of a lad of a lad. <laughs> actually um and anyhow so the property is um privately owned still and the owner helen Kotchu has decided to have an ancient trees walk uh in the garden and it's going to be led by yours truly um uh, because there's a whole pile of trees there that are well over 100 years old um and in fact it says here a great collection of cent- centenarians still waiting to receive their letters from the queen um <laughs> And it has got some remarkable trees in it. Uh, So it's a morning tea and tour of the garden. Uh, It's $30 per head. You do need to book for this. And um, the bookings are at info at Ardhillygarden.com.au. And I'll spell Ardhilly for you. Um, It's A R D C H O i I W L E. So Ardhilly Garden, all one word. dot com. dot au, and um, that's on the tenth of November, uh, Thursday, the tenth of November, uh, at ten thirty in the morning. And it is a remarkable place. It's got a National Trust classified fernery uh, that's uh, all done in galvanised iron. So an old galvanised iron fernery dating back to the 1870s or thereabouts uh, that Helen's been carefully restoring the garden underneath. So she's getting ferns and everything all back in place again and turning it into the Victorian fernery that it is because at one stage it was a chook shed. Uh, so it's, you know, the garden is, is coming along beautifully. And uh, I'm hoping for one of those beautiful, misty Mount Macedon, mornings actually if we can crack it because when you wander through these trees with trunks on them you know that are meters in diameter uh, and the mist is swirling through them magical can be stunning ab so it is really a really interesting property so it's a an opportunity that doesn't come up all that frequently so if you want to see one of our really unusual properties on mount macedon and the only major property that's on the north of the hill uh, nearly everybody selected property on the south of the mountain because they wanted the, the deeper soils and the cooler climate. And, of course, on the north of the mountain, it tends to be a bit rockier. Uh, and although there's good soil where Art Hilly is, um, it does get warmer and drier in the summer. Um, uh, but it, I think it reminded William McGregor more of his highland, um, rocky hills of Scotland and what have you. Um, um, so
2: completely different microclimate. It, it
1: does feel in quite way, different. Yeah, yes, it, yeah. it feels quite different to the south of the mountain. Um, um, and uh, yes, yeah, it's just this remarkable place. I mean, even the old gardener's cottage, which is still there. The original house burnt down uh, when um, some squatters moved in after William McGregor passed away, because okay. uh, he had no—he was never married, had no children, and the place had been left to a niece in England. Uh, and some squatters moved in, um, and uh, the place burnt down in the 1920s. I think it was maybe a little earlier, and a weatherboard house was put on later. That was pulled down. Again, later on, and so there's a fairly modern house on the place, but in keeping with the style of the property and so forth, so it's a lovely, lovely modern home on the on the property and uh yeah, so uh yeah, it sounds like a good fun thing to do, and there are some exceedingly rare trees in the garden that were planted way back over a century ago fantastic so we'll be looking at some of those uh, some of them are funnily enough sort of unique to mount Macedon in a sense, there's not many of them that are unique full stop but a lot of the trees that went into the gardens around Mount Macedon were supplied by Sangster and Taylor nurseries way back. Okay. And I've got visions of Mr. Sangster sitting at his desk with his quill, uh, writing letters to all of his good clients around the Macedon range saying, I've just imported from England uh, half a dozen specimens of Ilex kingianum and your garden needs one. Uh, and y- you can walk around the gardens of Mount Macedon and you'll see these signature plants that nearly all of the really old gardens have got one. Right. And yet you won't see them anywhere else. You won't see them in the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. You won't see them in the Gardens of the Dandenongs because that was always, that was sort of a generation or so later. Um, so there's these sort of signature trees that okay. grow around Mount Macedon in quite a few of the gardens, which Excellent. I find an interesting sort of historical note as well. Yeah. Excellent. So there we go.
0: Okay. All right. We've got one one last uh, community announcement, and this really follows on from, if anyone watched Gardening Australia last night, doesn't it, A.B.? That's right. So,
2: Stephen, if I said to you you could do a two-hour gardening, organic gardening course for $795, you might kind of run for the hills?
1: Potentially, yeah, yes. Potentially. It does yeah, yeah, it does yeah, sound yeah, like yeah, quite yeah. a lot of money.
2: Okay, so throw into that um, – so it's a course for two people. Mm-hmm. Throw into that overnight accommodation and dinner at the two-hatted Royal Mail Hotel in Dunkeld. And starting it, it, to sound better. Starting to sound a little bit better. <laughs> yes, yes, so, yes, it's getting better. Yeah. so if anyone watched Gardening Australia last night, you would have seen that um, uh, we had a story on um, the Royal Mail Hotel Kitchen Garden mm. and um, Michelle Shanahan, who's the head gardener there, um, showed – Jane around the garden, and um, it's quite an extensive garden, almost three hect- almost three acres, and um, they've got all sorts of things going on down there. And um, she does everything organically, and um, so it's quite quite an incredible place, um, set right in the foothills of the um, Grampians. It's a beautiful there. spot. It is absolutely yeah, stunning. Spot. So, and um, I mean, of course, all the trials and tribulations that she she goes through. So they've decided. Um, it's very popular. You know, when they have guests, they you know shown around the kitchen garden and it's a very popular um, place so they've decided to run these um, kitchen garden courses and um, so they're they're just um, doing them through spring. So there's three dates so far, Sunday, September 11, October 16 and November 20 and you spend um, a couple of hours with Michelle in the garden taking home all her organic gardening skills and Believe me, she's got lots of skills. Mm-hmm. She's had people there from around the world, you know, um, who are really into organic gardening, and um, passed them on, passed their skills on to her. Um, so the organic garden series will provide all participants with a pot soil, produce, and the knowledge to start their own organic kitchen garden. Um, and as I mentioned, it's the prices per couple, so seven ninety five per couple, and it includes overnight accommodation a gardener's afternoon tea and a five-course dining room dinner featuring produce from the garden itself because over 80% of the produce in the restaurant yeah. comes from that garden, which is… And
1: there's pressure. Absolutely. If you're going to run a restaurant oh, out yes. of an organic oh, garden, absolutely. Oh, yes. you know, not you've not got like to have the, the produce. Yeah, yeah, for
2: sure. Yeah. Um, so if anyone's interested in, in booking that, that, the number to call is double five double seven
0: double two four one. 2241. There we go. Okay, we've got to also welcome into the studio Will Ashburner, and Will, of course, is from Hancock's Daffodils. We get to see you, if we're lucky, about once a year. (laughs) It's all happening again,
3: isn't it? It is, thanks, Pam. Yeah, thanks for inviting me again, and I walked into the studio, and it's all quite strange. It's all...
2: Or new, isn't it? It oh, is. Yes. You yes. saw All it printed. last. Yes, it's had it's a different. bit of a
0: paint
2: job. <laughs> has yes. A
3: paint job, and Ab and Pam have swapped sides. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a bit
1: bit mind altering <laughs> as it well. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was
3: we walked in and, and um, there's a computer screen, and it's almost it's not sort of you can read it actually. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's um, well, it's quite. And the worst thing is though that you have to press a bell to get in. That was a bit sad because normally, you know, the door's open and everybody can come and go and yep, now yep. there's security. It's,
0: Unfortunately, yeah. we've had some security issues, so mm. we don't have bouncers on sign the Sign of the time. time. Yes,
3: <laughs> it's a sad sign of the time. It is. It's it amazing
2: is. that we can see you at this time of year, like... You know, thought you'd be busy out there in the gardens. I have
3: been, yes. <laughs> yes, I'm solo this weekend. My wife and, and daughter are at, um, at Adelaide Show, and my son decided to go and climb Mount Bogong this weekend. So. Oh, gosh.
1: This weekend of all weekends, Well, yes, yes, there's mean. snow up there, you so. see. Oh, some young people yes. have got no responsibility. Uh. <laughs>
3: so I went and picked some flowers to show you last night in the dark, so I'm not sure <laughs> oh. exactly what I picked, but um, I went well, through the summer. They slew. look all right, Will. They, they <laughs> look quite nice, yeah. mm. And then this morning, oh, gosh. Yes, all getting these, up early thing. Well, not so much that. Oh, I'm up that time anyway. But there's all the other responsibilities. Like I've got to feed the trucks oh, and yes, feed the cats yes, and get, do this and do that and make sure there's water here and everywhere else. And, yes, it takes a lot of time when your partner's not around.
0: Well, mm. we doubly appreciate your presence, Will.
3: Oh, it's lovely to come in.
0: Good on you, good on you. And of course, we should we should tell listeners why you're here, and that's because you very bravely have opened up the Daffodil Farm again bravely. to the public.
3: Yeah, and every year we open up at this time of year because well, it's the best time to open because there's something to see. Exactly. Um, and so we're just trying to let people see what these um, daffodils that, that uh, look like in the real world instead of in the in a catalogue that's um, mm. where it's sort of flat and the colours aren't right and and you can't actually see how tall they are and you have to read description. So it's nice to see how to see the daffodils in the flesh and, and talk to us. And, and it's really nice up there at the moment. It's a and beautiful I'm assuming spring.
1: assuming when they do come in and they see that daffodil that they've been looking for for their whole life, they can just then order it
3: for supply in the appropriate season. Exactly, yes. Mm. It's like going to see a living mail order catalogue and you just place your orders and we'll send them out later. Fantastic. Yeah. That's and brilliant. And it, it's, it's, it's quite extraordinary this spring because it's so much wetter than last year and, and everything's just popping out. Of the ground. It's just does
1: that mean BYO gumboots, or is it? Uh, does your soil drain away quite well up
3: there? And um, yeah, the garden's fine yeah. where we are, but um, yeah, the paddock, the in the paddock, it's um, a little bit slippery. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So beware, yes. beware, and don't wear
1: those stilettos out. No, no, oh no, no, oh, no. no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Especially you guys. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Are you predicting a bumper crop this year, Will?
3: Oh, I always do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, prediction. Every, of every, every, every. Uh, garden. It's always, the, the weather's always different and and it's always going to be better than last year. I think that's where we're all eternal optimists, I think. Yes. <laughs> you sort of
1: have to be in gardening. Yeah. Although I see this year as being one of those springs out of the of box. Rain,
0: yeah, I think rain, I think it is had, going yeah, to
1: be. We've had proper rains. The moisture's got down into the ground. Uh, everything looks like it's ready to just explode. So I think it's going to be a great spring this year. So And certainly my bulbs have been... Those that have been up and done their things already have been fabulous this year. All all the snowdrops were fantastic. Uh, The winter cyclamen were fabulous. Uh, uh, The earlier narcissists that I've had, and, you know, I do the little tiny things. Generally, I don't have the bigger growing types. But the earlier ones, uh, they've all flowered well this year. Uh, Even some of those that I find a little shy flowering have been good, so i've I've got no complaints, my narcissus cyclominius flowered their little heads off this year good. Uh, and looked fantastic and are still looking all right, although they're passing over now and hopefully setting seed pods as we speak um uh, so I
3: think it's been a good good bulb year,
1: oh yes,
0: yeah, now you're open every day until the end of this month, Will.
3: that's right yeah from uh 10 o'clock till 4 o'clock weekdays and l- – sorry, 11 o'clock to 4 o'clock on weekdays and 10 till 5 on weekends. So.
1: Okay. There's
3: plenty of time to see stuff.
1: Wow. And where do we
3: go? How do we, we do get go. there, Will? <laughs> <laughs> we should just Google us. Google oh, come us. on now. Some people um, just like directions They as well. do, don't they? Yes. Um, we're on the belgrave Road, so You need to come up to Belgrave and catch the road to um, Emerald and Gembrook and you can't miss us. We're on the corner of um, Grand Tuller Road. It's on – is it – we front um, – Planted the front paddock out in um, because it's obviously when the front paddock's full of flowers, it's quite yeah, it a quite the obvious, it Catches the yeah. eye, <laughs> and there's a good reason for that actually because um, next year we celebrate our hundredth year of. Um, Really? Resistance.
1: So Hancock's has been going a hundred years. Well,
3: Han- Well, not called Hancock. Oh, so yes. it didn't no, have no. another name yeah. at once. Yeah, time. it was owned by a fellow called Harry Brown originally, and uh, as Lou Browns Nilek doesn't came. have quite the same no. ring. Doesn't no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and he started breeding um, in Ballarat actually. That's oh, where yes. the he started. Yeah. Okay. And then it moved to Camberwell, Glendon Road in Camberwell.
1: Oh, I bet that real estate's
3: valuable now. Mm. <laughs> um, I suspect they had some. Bulbs in Burwood too, but I'm not sure about that. No. Right. And then they moved up to Ferntree Gully, Calorama, and now Menzies Creek, where they've been. We've been for nearly 50 years. So, goodness, nice. gracious. well, yeah. there can't
1: be too many horticultural firms around that have that sort of
3: history. I no. would have thought now no, that are I've... still going. It's hard. I think Warners might be. Yeah, Warners yeah. go back quite a way, so that's a possibility. Um, there's a, uh, it's very hard to find, in yeah. fact, in the world. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, a lot of them are gone. I mean, over the last few years, we've seen the demise of, um, well, in the last couple of years, Bolter's Nursery's gone, the Rhododendron Nursery in the Dandenongs, which went back three and four generations. Yeah. Um, uh, the, well, nearly all the big firms in the Dandenongs have either closed or completely sort of changed their tack. That's uh, right. So Bolter's, sadly, was... I thought sad, a big rhododendron nursery, but,
3: you know, it's... And here's an interesting aside. i have just take a picture on my phone. I'll show AB. Oh, and This, this dear old lady visited yesterday, and she's 102. Oh, oh isn't that
0: fantastic. Fe- she,
1: doesn't she doesn't look at... She no, doesn't look at... that. she looks about good. 80 to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's yeah. obviously a gardener. Yeah.
3: She's obviously a gardener, well, and She's obviously
1: enjoying her daffodils. she's a great th- bunch of them in definitely, her Definitely.
3: And listen, look at the... the um, the uh, magnolia in the background too, that just... Rings oh, star Magnolia
2: is incredible at the moment, aren't no they? they? They are. Well, I
3: thought yeah. they were all going to flower a month early and then all of a sudden they just... that they yeah, hold yeah, muck yeah. and... Yeah,
1: Yes, yeah, so the, the old magnolias are fantastic as long as you don't have possums. Lots of people are having trouble with possums and magnolia buds being eaten.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Uh, and cockatoos. Right. Nip them off. My magnolia Campbelli hasn't got a bud left on it this year.
2: Oh, really? Do yeah. you usually feed your cockies? No. Oh, because we do you know, a couple of times a day. Not much, but a little bit. And if you if we don't go out and feed them, they come along and they knock pots off things and they steal things yeah, and vandals. they take, take yeah. your washing away. And they've
1: got you trained now, oh, A.B. totally,
2: totally. So I'm like, oh, my goodness, I better go out and feed the cockies. Yeah, see, look, yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: no, look, we don't feed the birds. They, um, you know, we create a habitat, and that's yeah. as far as we're concerned enough. Uh, we do get a couple of king parrots that come down and might get a little bit out of out of your hand because yeah, they will actually eat tame, out of your hand aren't they? Oh, the king parrots are the cheekiest things, yeah. um, but we don 't normally feed the birds, we just give them habitat and I do get annoyed with the cockatoos because they. I wouldn't mind so much if they ate what they're doing, but they just pick things off and drop them to the ground. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: I call them the teenagers of the bush because, you know, they just create noise and destruction, The trouble is they live for about 100
1: years, so they're hardly teenagers, (laughs) the damn things. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, they're probably one of our more destructive bird species, and they do give you magnolias a hiding. A girlfriend of mine down the street's got a lovely magnolia denudata, and all the buds off the top of the tree are all gone. And she said she's come running out and banging saucepans and all very sorts pr- of. Yes, very appropriate name. Yes, you go inside. They, yes, it is now. Then you darted. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the bottom part of the tree looks stunning. But all the flower buds have been nipped off the top, and it's the sulfur crested cockatoos. You know, We've seen them at it, so we know they're the, the, um, the culprits. culprits in this in this game. Um, and, yeah, they just nip things off and drop them to the ground. Yeah. You think, well, you know, I can sort of understand them cleaning up my apple trees because they're taking the fruit and they're eating it, uh, although albeit messily. Um, but when they take the flower buds off stuff and they, it's... A does them no good because all they're doing is just plucking them off and dropping to the ground. Very frustrating. I guess
2: that's why the ones in the suburbs are looking good because there's, you know, yeah, less, less, cock- cockies. less cockies yes. there. But <laughs> I pass a, is it a um, Stellata? Is that the starry? Yeah, the starry one. Yeah, yeah. I pass one of those um, every day and boy, oh boy, is it stunning. I think oh, that's my favourite. You think? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah uh, look, I, I have my favourite Magnolia is normally the one I'm standing in front of because they're all so gorgeous. <laughs> uh, it's really hard to pick a favourite uh, and there's so many beautiful forms out there now I mean some of the new hybrids some of the dark dark almost blacky burgundy ones that are getting around now Uh, I saw some down when I was doing that promo for EWood at Garden World a few weeks ago which is another thing I've been out doing uh, they had quite a lot of those new dark magnolias for sale down there and they were absolutely outrageous Fantastic Mm -hmm. looking things. Mm. So uh, yeah, so right from pure white through to these dark blacky coloured ones, it's a huge diversity in magnolias Mm. now.
2: Yeah, Mm. so if you're thinking of putting one in in your garden, a really good time to go out and have a look at them. Yeah, while they're in flower.
1: Actually, now is a good time to plant magnolias. Uh, They're one of the few deciduous trees that I recommend people plant a little later in the year because they have a very fleshy root system and they don't like to go down into cold, wet soil Mm -hmm. uh, unestablished. So if you put them in the ground as the soil's starting to warm up a little bit, uh, then they sort of hit the Ground running, but if you put them in in the autumn, early winter, and you do get a wet year, you can get a lot of root rot. Yeah. Uh, so, magnolias really should be put in now. So, buy them in a pot in flower now, take them home, put them in the garden, and an instant pit of colour. Absolutely. <laughs> so,
3: yeah. a, a warning, word of warning make sure the one, the pot of, of magnolias has been grown in the pot and not just. Oh, yeah, if in it's the...
1: just been potted up, that could be
3: a problem it because can bare be... rooted, uh, you they don't die. want to disturb them. I can yep. tell you that they die. Yep, yep.
1: Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, so a well grown potted one, thank you Will, you're right uh, uh, and the nurseryman should be able to tell you in fact you should be able to see yourself whether it's just being potted up or whether it's something that's being grown in the pot, normally a couple of little weeds on the top will help (laughs) Uh, remind you that it's been in the pot a little while, so uh, yes magnolias, wonderful trees.
0: Okay, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show in the studio this morning we've got Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants, AB Bishop Will Ashburner from uh, Hancock's Daffodils and uh, we'd love to uh, hear from you. We're going to open up our talkback lines now. If you'd like to give us a call this morning, 94190155. That's 94190155. Well, let's talk daffodils for a minute. you brought in a huge, huge bucket full of Yes, of I have, but I, I might varieties. just divert just because Steve
3: yeah. was talking about his miniatures. I've just shown him a little... Little treasure How there. How cute's that? What's it called? I've no idea. Oh, bugger. I, mean, well, I don't care anymore. Well, no. some. <laughs> <laughs> it's one I bred. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. So so you haven't what, actually ha- named ha- haven't it? I haven't named it. Well, it's actually a grex at the moment because there's a whole heap in there. Oh, yeah. But it's a little one I bred from Narcissus Dubius, which is mm. a, a little dwarf tarzetta, white tarzetta. And I think I might have crossed it with... Um triandrus. I was to, gonna to say it looks a bit triandrus. It does look very triandrusy, yeah, yeah. So I'd have to look at the label. All right, but well if you've got a spare bulb
1: or two, you know where there, you can get rid of them. Too. I
3: thought you'd say that. <laughs> and that's another that's a little um, one like Hawera, but it's been bred from um, with Narcissus Fernandezio, oh, yes, so it's a shorter one. Again, oh, sorry, I've got to show EB. Yeah. Yeah. Stunning, so, beautiful, so, yeah, yeah. And, and for those who are, are
1: listening and can't see, the sort of trandesci type narcissus have almost a cup-shaped cup. It's a really sort of little fat, little, little dumping, fat, rounded dumping. sort of um, trumpet on it. Yeah. Often flared back petals. Generally beautifully perfumed. Uh, which I think is always an advantage, except, of course, they're so close to the ground, you look a bit silly while you're lying on the ground smelling your daffodils. But oh, no, no you pick a
0: bunch of them. Yeah, well, if you pick a
1: bunch, it's fine. But, yes, if you're trying to get down to their level, it, yeah, especially in this damp season, <laughs> it can be all a bit messy. But they are beautiful little things. And I do adore little low daffodils because they've got a place in the edge of a border or in a rock garden or wherever, and they're not so inclined to get knocked over by the weather. And, and I just love them. I think the little tiny ones are gorgeous.
3: Mm. They're my favourites. My favourites are the hoop, pe- hoop petticoats. Yeah. So. Um, my mother always had a, a, out the front of her um, house. She had this terracotta tub, and every year this sort of, f- yeah, foliage come up. And I used to ask her about it. She says, "Oh, the hoop petticoats are really beautiful." And I said, "When do they flower?" And she says, "Oh, they don't seem to flower very well." And, <laughs> and <laughs> I don't think this pot of th- grassy
1: stuff. Exactly.
3: For years, I don't think I ever saw it um, flower at all. And um, so I was intrigued by these hoop petticoats. And so now I have grown lots of them, mm. and. Well, there's some
1: lovely hybrids of those around,
3: and there's that's my that row there, which which looks like it goes on forever. It's about eighty metres. Yeah, I was uh, no four. no sixty metres. Sorry, um, and that's my. They're all selections actually, and that's one I haven't got round to selecting. You can see, so who petticoats? If people can't see, um, they instead of having uh, the cup itself is sort of flared like um, an old-fashioned petticoat, and mm. the petals themselves uh, are c- quite reduced, small, aren't they? Reduced. Yeah, so it's more yes. it's
1: more about the trumpet. Than mm. anything with yes. the hoot petticoats.
3: and they're delightful things. And and I, I obviously, if you grow something from seed, it's more likely to flower well anyway because it's been, it's you've collected seed from something that's flowering. Um, I think there's a lot of nursery, nursery varieties of um, you know, hoot petticoats around that multiply well, but don't flower very well. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I've weeded a few of those out of my range that I just got sick of. Mm. You know, you, you buy them in the first place, then you get one flower every so often. You think, well, if I can't flower it reasonably well. <laughs> Then the home garden is going to struggle with it, so some of yep. the varieties of those I've discarded, and uh, I'm probably down to only about 10 or a dozen different hoop petticoats now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a few of the ones I've been growing and doing really well with are some of the Rod Barwick
3: ones, oh, okay, mm-hmm. um,
1: with the weird names that he gives them. Uh, but one that's been doing, or two that have been doing particularly well of Rod's Narcissus Bulbicodiums that I've had for three or four years now, is Ben Blur and Mickey Moto okay. or Mitty Moto, uh, and they've been lovely. I mean. Really good and big flowered ones, really showy, okay. but still comparatively short. So yeah. uh, I've really enjoyed them. So this
3: one, this one was bred from Spiro, which is one of Rods, yeah. and I crossed it with a, of, um, a species called Lutecens, Uh viridiflorus. Lutec- I can't remember now yeah. exactly, but anyway, it was a sort of creamy one, and we've ended up with this lovely. Cream coloured one. I think actually, see it's unselected because you can see the different ones. Yeah, there's ones. a little they're bit of diversity, diversity. there. So Sadly, you know. I will never be able to unsort that. I don't think. But um, <laughs> they're very hard to unsort. But and I've had another patch, and we had distinct ones. And the fox decided to dig up a um, oh. cricket or something, and they're all spread around. So it's a bit sad, but that terri- these these just flower wonderfully well they're wonderful hey yeah. will
2: tell us a bit about the actual breeding process i'm always intrigued by that like why you know what attributes do you look for and do, what do you use the mother parent the mother plant for and the father pair plant for and all that sort of thing
3: um it's interesting to say that i've talked to a lot of breeders about this too and um i think you'll find that Supposedly, we're all very incredibly directed, but we're not. We just can't help ourselves.
1: You keep putting pollen everywhere. You just can't keep
3: pollen. (laughs) The the most amazing fellow is a fellow called Terry Hatch in New Zealand, who, Mm -hmm. if you ever visited Terry Hatch, he's just, he just dabs pollen. He can't, he'd be walking around the garden, you'll start dabbing pollen. He just, he's. So
2: don't stand still. That's
3: right, you you might get pollinated. Yeah. yeah. He's he's produced some amazing plants too, um, which we've had in Australian gardens for a while now. But um, yeah, there is a sort of game plan. I tend to um, choose vigor. I'm always working on vigor. Vigor is what I'm more interested. in. I, think, I figure that, well, I'm only around for 20 years as a breeder, so and I want to see these things before I actually stop breeding. Mm-hmm. So, you, there's no point in growing something that's got that's mythy and it's never going to multiply. And you're never going to sell. So, and, and share with people. So, I've always looked at vigor as my number one. I'm, then I'd look at just beauty of the flower. Um, Have you got here. any
1: colour passions what? that you're trying to work towards? Because mm. some of the breeders do. Uh, I know uh, Freddie Silcock up our way has been using a lot of Narcissus viridiflorus to try and breed green into
3: things. He started to, yeah. Yeah, mm.
1: and, uh, and he comes in and pinches some of my Narcissus cyclomineus flowers every year for one of his breeding
3: oh, he, programs. Yeah. So he comes
1: in and gets the pollen from me because uh, he knows I've got a nice isolated uh. batch of... Cyclominus. Um
3: Freddie. I think he's on he's on a lot of planes. That fella. Yeah, we, I think he might be too. <laughs> he, 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 and he, they're he gets, not all horticultural. No, true. <laughs> um, but he's he he's been he's always after he's 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 amazingly active. Mind and, and he does find he, he's very well directed. But he puts down a lot of a lot of seed. Anyway. Oh yeah, he grows yeah.
1: thousands of seedlings, and I don't know that he names almost anything. No. it's got to it's actually got to be. It's got to meet some sort of almost unrealistic criteria before Freddie will actually name something, which is probably not a bad thing in some ways because some people will name almost anything they breed um, and flood the market with all sorts of, well all Saran plants, or at least no real improvement on existing cultivars. Yeah, or and,
2: and ones that haven't been trialled around the yeah, place. Yeah, and they and need they to be out really, there for yeah. a little
1: while until you can be sure what they're doing. So I don't know how many Freddie's actually ever named, but he grows thousands of seedlings. There's paddocks all over Mount Macedon area that have the largesse of Freddie's daffodils, because he <laughs> borrows people's paddocks, plants it out with daffodils, selects what he wants out of, the, out of the paddock for his breeding program, and then walks away and leaves the rest of the daffodils. Mm. So you end up with a whole paddock full of daffodils. So Quite a few areas around the mountain now are just a sea of yellow in the, in the spring, uh, due to Freddie and his breeding program. So he's mm. an
3: amazing character. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so going back to the um, so and the other thing, and it was talking to Freddie and other, other breeders before. I, well, I've, I've been breeding daffodils for a long time, but I I, used to, I worked on miniatures because I was just a a, a gardener then. Yes. Um, <laughs> before I became a, a mere gardener. Mere, a mere gardener. gardener. Yes. So I, I chose miniatures because you grow more things in a small spot. But um, now, we're having Hancocks, we want to breed big daffodils. So um, I looked at an, a lot of breeders breeding daffodils, line breed. So they're actually looking for that perfection, of um, for a show-type show, mm. show type perfection. And I've had no interest in shows. Mm. I'm interested in growing gardens, but growing flowers for gardeners. And, um, and they're not interested in show flowers. They're interested in something that does well. Flowers mm. The flowers sit on top of the foliage, you can see, and all this sort of stuff. So um, – I went went back to the old varieties, all the old, mm. not old, old old, but older varieties, not the fancy new ones. And the the nice thing about them is that there's a lot more genetic diversity in there as well. Mm. So when you do a cross, you'll end up with um, fifty seedlings, say, and they'll be all different.
1: Yeah, so you won't get a. Uh, you're not breeding down till you've almost got a.
3: Fifty that look almost the yeah, same. Yeah, almost the same. So and yes. then, then the choosing... And the work, actually, it's, when you have it like that, it's almost impossible. I've had a lot of trouble with hoop petticoats. Which one of those do I select? Because they really are a slight variation of theme, and I've had a lot of trouble choosing which ones to keep and which ones not with hoops. So, but the bigger ones, it's easy. So you can see, oh, it's a white one, It's a yellow one. And, and, and you'd be amazed that some of those early ones, you'll, the yellows will throw... If you cross two yellows, you can end up with a white one in there. Yeah, yeah, so there is because a lot of, of gene variation. Yeah, a lot of gene yeah, and, and also people like decorative things. So I've, um, I've looked at the decorative type daffodils and, and let's grab some of them. Yeah, we? let's
1: have a look.
0: Before you do that, we should go to a couple of callers. Oh, we've um, got some. Oh, good. Yes, we have got some. We are um, currently talking to Will Ashburner and uh, Will is from Hancock's Daffodils up there in Menzies Creek in the Dandenongs. Uh, and we'll go first up, to uh, Pam who's out in Kyneton and Pam you've got a daffodil question.
4: Yes I have um, at the moment of course you know we've got our daffodil festival on up here in Kyneton yes. and we've got a show the local um, garden club puts on a show in the hall in the agricultural buildings and they have some wonderful daffodils up there and they're just beautiful and I've got my garden open as well so if anybody in Melbourne's you know wants to drive out of Melbourne today come up to Kyneton there's lots and lots on up around here but that's not why I called (laughs) Um, along the front of my fence I have got lots of daffodils of course because you open your garden and that's what Kyneton's all about and I might add we can grow daffodils quite well up here which is one good thing we can grow but with my daffodils to keep they've been in along my front fence now for about three years and they are doing very well. And, of course, with all the wet this year, they're, they're looking quite spectacular. But what, what should I do with my daffodils now when they're finished this year? Or should I put anything on them now to keep them going um, because the garden's open until next weekend? Or, like, and should I divide them now that they've been in for three years? Should I start to think about... Um, you know, spreading them out a little bit? Or, you know, can you give me some
3: advice okay. on that? yep. Please? Um Do you know what variety they are? No, okay. they are
4: daffodils.
3: <laughs> <laughs> There's and lots of different daffodils. Yeah, they're those daffodils. they yellow daffodils, yeah. Because well, right. yeah. there, there is... Some of them are white and some
4: of them are pink. And, and oh, okay, okay. okay. a right, wonderful good, display. All right, fine.
3: That's mm. all right. That, that's where I'm coming from. Because some daffodils that are purchased in... Um, um, how would you say? No, a no, better... I don't purchase any of my plants like that. Oh, you should. I was given them from friends. <laughs> you or keep I've us poor nursermen going. Yeah, yes. Um, <laughs> so no, why I say it? Because growers, some, some variety, there? There, cause there's so much diversity in daffodils and varieties, even yellow ones, there's yeah. thousands of varieties of yellow yeah. ones. And some do better than others. Some are taller, shorter, flower at different times. So um, if you purchased a lot at, say, um, a fire sale at Bunnings, and we may well have ended no, up with varieties no, that are sort no, of... No,
4: no, no, I don't shop at
3: Bunnings, poor, thank poor, you very much. Good on you. <laughs> poor, um, poor growers, so I would change the way I'm going to advise you. All right. so...
4: Can I just tell you, when I first moved into Kyneton, and I was chatting with a couple in a restaurant one day, and he, he found out I was a gardener, and then I found out he was a very good daffodil grower from this area, he said to me, I will give you some bulbs. And at the right time, I found a bucket full of daffodil bulbs on my front veranda from this grower. And he's a home grower, but a very well-known one around here. And and I, that's mainly what my bulbs consisted of, the bulbs that he gave me. So they're quite beautiful, some of them.
3: Oh, I suspect mm. it's one of the Detmans, is it?
4: Um. I, I think it was
3: one of, yeah. Yeah, the place infested with them. Yeah,
4: there's, they they those
1: Detmans, they breed like daffodils. An
3: absolute <laughs> bucketful, I guess. They're all I very keen so gardeners. Even, even their grandchildren are very yes. keen gardeners. I can vouch for that. Mm. Um, right, so you've got lots of different sorts out the front. Yes. Um, and they're in discrete clumps. Uh, they're
4: spread all the way along the front. But I mean each the...
3: coloured one's in discrete areas. They're not mixed up together.
4: They yes, they are actually. What's mm. that?
3: Mixed up together? No, they're a discrete. They're they're in okay, clumps. that's good. Because mm. what happens is, is a mixture will mean some are more stronger than others. So you'll end up with others dominating, and then you might oh, right. have lots of pink ones, and they all get smothered out by yellow ones or yes, green ones. Yes, there actually ones is a pink on one getting
5: smothered out. Yes,
4: yeah, so
3: that's that's good. Okay, and when you look at the clumps, um, yeah. how much you can actually see how many stems are coming up. And mm. each each um, set of leaves, there might be three or four leaves, mm. and then there'll be flowers. So right. you can have a look and just see in a clump, if there's sort of 10 or 12 bulbs and you're getting two flowers, yes. I would suspect that that would be a clump that I'd dig up and spread out because it's probably getting too crowded. Mm. But if there's a clump and it's got 12 flowers and 12, 12 stems and 12 sort of discrete bits coming up, then mm. I wouldn't bother touching that one. All right. Now, you can do that now. or yes. You can do that when the Wait till, wait, till the guns, wait till after the garden's closed. Guns closed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can just actually, the clumps are looking a bit average, just dig them up and replant them and just spread the bulbs out a bit more and okay. water them in well. And that's the best way to, to spread out things because now you're choosing the ones that um, aren't flowering well and B, you can find the jolly things, because I can tell you what, even, no matter how hard you mark them, they're always not where you expect them to be when you try and dig them up in yeah. the middle. No, the spade goes through yeah. the middle of the bowl. No, and, and, I, and, and I, I was don't.
4: going to start and put labels around them. In fact, that was my plan last year. But uh, would,
3: <laughs> we all have those sort of plans, I can tell you. It didn't now.
4: happen. <laughs> and if <laughs> yeah. I have other other daffodils, when I first moved in here and there was no garden, so I planted daffodils, and of course they had the whole bed to themselves yep. almost. But now that the shrubs and everything have grown, mm. and I've some of the bulbs of, the, of some lovely varieties are underneath the shrubs and they're quite depleted in their, um, the size of their leaves and yeah. their flowers. So they, they're getting
3: competitive. Look, all plants don't like competition. I don't no. think I've met a plant that doesn't like competition. So what's happening there is those daffodils are getting competed for um, nutrients, water, whatever, yeah. by the shrubs. And that's why they're declining. So yeah, look, dig them up now and put them somewhere else. A couple of years later, they'll start flowering again, as long as they're not being competed by something else. And daffodils themselves compete with each other, and that's why they, when they get crowded, they don't flower very well. So, all right.
4: Yeah. But when I dig these bulbs, these depleted bulbs up, uh, should I just put them into um, potting? <coughs> well, in if, if you want to grow, I pl- just
3: plant them straight back in the ground. All right. Okay. The ground's okay. Easy Which is what I now, was so. going to
5: do. yeah so,
3: Yeah, if you know where you want to put them, of course, because daffodils, not many plants really like growing in pots either, for that matter. It's an artificial environment. No. I wouldn't like being put in a pot. (laughs) (laughs) Might be where you end up. (laughs) Um, so, yeah, yes, so no, just, if you can replant them, do it straight away. And it's done then. You don't have to worry about doing it later. It's much easier to do a job in one go than to do it in three or four steps.
4: Okay, but should I feed them? And the ones um, along
3: the no, front? look, Kyn, your soil's already so rich, I wouldn't Yeah, worry. I wouldn't have thought you'd need to give daffies okay. a lot of feed up that way.
4: Just, I just wasn't sure.
3: We, we, not we, potash?
4: We, you wouldn't give them potash?
3: Yeah, look, if you've got some potash, chuck it around. It's always better to feed things. Um, as they're staying to grow in through the growing season than at the end of the year. Yeah, what is like? that
1: myth about feeding daffodils after they flower? It makes absolutely no, no logical sense no, to me no. because if you put the food down after it's flowered, it'll have died down before it can even take the food up.
3: Exactly. I don't think I've met anybody, any grower that does that. No, and yet
1: you see it in all the literature and people uh, have been regularly heard to say it on radio and all sorts of things that you feed your bulbs as they're finishing flowering. And I don't make well, any sense obvious
3: plagiarism, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, that's right. They're just following somebody else's bad idea in the first place. You probably place. track it
3: down to some sort of canon in in some little sh- shire in England yes. that, <laughs> that said that, and everybody else has copied him ever since. Yeah. You know?
1: yeah. Well, he was probably a religious person. Mm. Yeah. It's
4: clever marketing. Yes,
1: possibly. <laughs> well, well <laughs> it's a good it's way to use a way up a lot of fertilizer. That's yeah, waste.
3: So we actually we just chuck. In fact, we we have a hectare of uh, we. we have a, well, we have a couple more than a hectare, but the hectare that we have flowering, we picking flowers from that year, we always put four bags of potash to the hectare. So it's not much. You know, four bags is what um, 20, um, 200 kilos per hectare. So okay, know, I'll try
4: and figure out.
3: Bring no, it not, down to your scale. scale. Your it's scale. Really <laughs> just to look, it's literally a thimbleful. <laughs> you know, it really, it's not a lot.
4: No. Um, okay. But,
3: Potash is great for everything that flowers, so It
4: is, isn't it? And that was what that was going to be my plan, but I just mm. wanted to to make sure.
3: Yeah, right.
1: and no. next year your opening will be even better. No, plan. Stephen,
4: next year there's not gonna be an opening.
1: Oh come on now. <laughs> what are you planning for if not for an opening?
4: <laughs> anyway.
1: The gardener doesn't okay. plan for the future. Yes.
4: Yes, mm. yes. But I'll always love my garden. Good,
1: Good, Good on you.
4: Gardening. Okay, Okay. thanks Thanks very much for all that advice. Lovely to listen to you all. Okay,
0: bye Bye, Pam. Next up we have uh, Nora out in North Melbourne. Good morning, Nora. Good morning. Um, I'm just wondering if the garden show at the
4: Melbourne showgrounds is going to be this spring as well? No.
1: No, it was cancelled quite some time ago.
5: Right.
1: Yeah, so there isn't going to be a spring event this year. That doesn't mean it won't happen again in due course, but, um, uh, well, I guess watch the space and we'll make sure people know about it. But there's certainly not one this year. Oh, dear. Sorry. Mm. Yeah, oh, well, it's just one of those things that happened. Yes,
0: Mm. yes. Okay, thank you. Okay, Bye. Bye. That number, if you'd like to join us this morning, uh, we're running through until nine fifteen. But Will has to go because he's got a, a garden opening <laughs> <Things> to do. <laughs> so, Things, yeah. uh, if you'd like to talk to Will and talk daffodils, do give us a call nine four one nine zero one double five. That's nine four one nine zero one double five. Just looking at some of these incredible daffodils, Will. I'm, I'm particularly. I'm uh, looking at this one.
3: Which one? That? Oh, that this one. one because mm, that's the trumpet
0: off. is so flared that it's almost doesn't yeah. look like a trumpet. I
3: don't remember. I don't remember picking this one out actually. It's okay. To, I can't. I've I'm, I've made 750 selections now. Gosh. So you do forget a few of them. Um, and that one is yeah pretty interesting, isn't it? It's, it's very interesting. It's um quite a big flower. It's um got a white petals and it's got the trumpet itself has, as you say, flattened out completely. Um, but all and frilly and fluted frilly and <laughs> just bit, gorgeous. Not as much as some, but and the the pe- the trumpet itself is split to the base. In fact, if you look at it, it's actually almost made. It has, it's made six discrete um, sections lobes. Yeah. So yeah. you've actually got two layers. Looks looks like two layers of petals. Wow, that's pretty good. I might have to remember that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I might have to do something with that because you could actually. If we if you keep working, there, you could actually make it look like it's got two layers of petals. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. I
0: think that's very stunning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
3: because there's a lot of there's quite a few split coronas in there. Here's another one. Yep. That's sort of um, it's been quite reduced. There. Oh, goodness, I'm
1: not sure about that one.
3: This one's sort of yeah, it's a bit. It's um, interesting. Certainly won't make a show it, bench. What happened? No, won't make a show <laughs> bench. Fire. It's this one's got very white petals, and the trumpet itself has um, been reduced to a, like a disc, and there's sort of little. Um, petal bits coming off it. It's quite strange-looking. Yeah, thing. it looks like it's had a holiday at Chernobyl. We should take photos <laughs> and, and send them on, on the website something, I shouldn't we? So there's a split that's trumpet a, that's one colour. One colour, yes. So that's, that's, that's quite good, too. I, that's one of the ones I've been trying to get. There's no not many good, strong um, white split. In fact, white daffodils are... Um, Exceedingly hard to have good, strong, vigorous ones now. I think global warming is affecting us because we've lost a lot of white ones we used to have. Yeah, um, They're finding very hard. So I've been working hard on breeding new white ones and new reverse bicolours, which... Um, if we can find a reverse bicolour, there's one there. Now, reverse bicolours, um, or a bicolour daffodil... Sorry, a bicolour daffodil is a... That's not a very good one. A white... Um, white petals and a yellow trumpet. Mm-hmm. So reverse bicolor is the opposite of that, which is a um, a white trumpet and yellow petals. We can't find any. No, right? can't <laughs> no I can't see one. Oh, hey, well, I know one. that tulips ah. have got
2: 16 different classes, you know, things like you're talking about the trumpets and frills and doubles and singles. Is it the same with daffodils?
3: Um, yeah, I think daffodils have 13, I think. Yep. So um, i won't go for it but there's there's ones for trumpets, small cups doubles splits um, cyclominious daffodil ones are derived from certain species cyclamenius poeticus um, triandrus. so yeah it's quite it 's easy to find that quite sort elaborate. of information yeah yep. it 's all well published every every daffodil book's got it somewhere, so this one 's a reverse bicolor which hasn 't reversed yet, but it 's got Um, yellow petals and then the trumpet often they are always limey green limey yellow they're not actually a strong bold golden yellow they're a sort of limey green yellow um and then the the cup itself will mature not fade mature to white and they can be look quite stunning and and there's one there look that's a better one i think um and that's a lovely one. That one, isn't it? And this one's oh, got yes. this one's got lovely swept back petals as well. It's, um, it looks like it's got a little cyclominius in it. It does, doesn't it? It, does. it probably has. It probably has. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, it's sneaking in there.
3: Um, and they 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 are also a um, a type of daffodil that seems to be difficult to grow, more difficult to grow. The, they just I just don't have as many as I used mm. to have. You know, so they seem to have fruited away, and, and I'm. I'm guessing it's the soil temperature a little bit higher, and they seem to be more susceptible to um, to um, basal rot, which is a, the doyen of all things. There's, here's one, Steve. I like.
1: Oh, that's very pretty. You well, know, see, so that's a multi uh, multi-flowered one, so you've got two flowers per stem, and and it's a cup-shaped trumpet. that's yellow uh, with a little bit of a whitish rim around, it. actually. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, which is quite pretty, uh, and white petals. And a little bit of scent, so it's got a bit of tazetta in it or something. Uh, I think it's John Quiller, actually. Is it John Quiller? Mm.
3: Do
2: you breed for scent as well? I have been.
3: Like I do sniff every flower. Yeah. Um, well, that,
1: that, that one has got a lovely scent. It's not too overpowering. Mm. Um, I find actually a room full of tazettas nearly makes me ill because uh, it's so strong. Mm.
3: Yeah, no, and, that's and, and
1: Pam knows my attitude to pink trumpet daffodils. Yes, I've never I actually do. bonded to pink trumpets. <laughs> so, so, if you're know, one, like that's, that's a split <laughs> crisis. Ah, here
3: we go. There's, there's a, there's a. That's another very rare one.
1: Oh, that's a split trumpet, reverse bicolor. Reverse I bicolor. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, I which did. is quite different.
3: Yeah. Uh, and and in it, fact, it, it,
1: some of these are getting to the point where it's actually hard to tell their daffodils. Mm, uh, they are. You're yeah, quite right. Yeah. But
3: this one here, when it reverses out, it's, it's, uh, the, the contrast is stunning. It's a, it's a really – and that's a bit of a breakthrough. There's a few breakthroughs in here that yeah. – that, So um, when have, are you, you know, going to get
1: the green and white reverse bicolour? color
3: I haven't really worked too much. It's too complicated. I've, I've looked at it, and they all get involved with, with – um, Genetics and I yeah, think it's all yeah, yeah. a bit too much.
1: Yeah, I did see <laughs> one on a front of a magazine somewhere or something that was a trumpet daffodil that looked, by the photo at least, to be a really good peppermint green. And yeah. it was in England or somewhere, Ireland maybe, I don't know, somewhere it bred what it looks like, to, at least in the photograph, it looked like a classical trumpet-style <laughs> daffodil and the whole thing was sort of this icy green and it was just I remarkable. bet it was Ireland. Yeah, well, it should be.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, there's been there's been sort of um, a couple of um, areas of working on the green daffodil. There's a, there's a species called um, Narcissus viridiflorus, which is an autumn flowering um, green daffodil. It yeah. has very small... Tiny flowers.
1: Sp- yeah, it's not everybody's idea of a showy garden plant.
3: <laughs> and the interesting thing is it actually doesn't have leaves, so the flowers, well... It it has a stem and the flower on top of it, and that's it. There's no other leaves. That's where the green comes
1: from, for Mm. chlorophyll, so there's no actual
3: leaves. okay, okay. It's a a quite interesting thing. Um, And there's a number of people. There's a fellow in California whose name I can't remember at the moment who did a bit of work, Manuel or somebody. He's now dead, sadly. And there's John Hunter in New Zealand. Now, John Hunter's breeding is probably the most interesting because he's um, already got... Um, full size daffodils from that breeding program, yeah. whereas a lot of them, they've got not full-size, they're sort of squilly things in between. Yeah. And he sent me a bit of pollen years ago, and I have got some bits and pieces coming along, but I haven't really worked on them. Um, but we visited John, oh gosh, 10 years ago now, and um, he lives in Nelson, and, and we visited him in May. And, of course, New Zealand's the same hemisphere as yeah. us, so that, and he had daffodils flowering.
1: Goodness gracious.
3: And these were because of the Virida floris has that. Fl-
1: so he's also pulled the season out exactly. of normal yeah, yeah. whack. Yeah. We
3: were, I wasn't all that pleased on that. I was thinking that we should try and destroy all of them because I don't really want to have to work in autumn as well <laughs> picking daffodils. So. Well, the so. other thing
1: too is daffodils being the harbages of harbingers of, of spring that they are – It's all very well to say, well, we can extend their season right out, but do we really want to in some ways? Because then they become a bit boring because you've got them all year. That's right. So, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm with you on that one a bit, Will. I don't think I'd want to sort of have my garden full of, Autumn yellow daffodils. Well, that's confusing, in, wouldn't
3: it? Uh, <laughs> that, that's the, the the line has been blurred by all that sort of stuff. We, of course, now we've cut flowers, and we have tulips all year round. We have yes. roses yes. all year round. We have, well, the first flower was carnations all year round, yeah. and look at the carnation now. You can't. Nobody wants to buy them at all now.
1: Which is sort of sad. They're still a
3: damn good cut flower. Lilies all year round, chrysanthemums yeah, right, all year is, round. Yeah. Again, chrysanthemums are almost forgotten. Yeah. And they, they develop entropy all year round and then everybody, they're passe now. they sort of, what's yeah. the next best thing, you know? So, yeah. yeah, you need um, diversity
1: through the seasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and and yeah.
3: change and, you know, like when was the last time you could buy a, a, a posy of violets?
1: Exactly. Well, probably when the little old ladies used to go out and pick them and get one penny a bunch. Mm. (laughs) That's right. Um, Because I can't imagine anything more tedious than picking violets, really. Absolutely. You
0: you used to take a walk through the city and there'd be all these carts on the sidewalks.
1: You're starting to age yourself now, Pam.
0: (laughs) I know, I know. But they'd all be selling... The most yeah. amazing bunch, bunch of, of the flowers, flowers with all the leaves carefully arranged around yeah. the outside yes. of the bunch, just stunning. Mm. And they cost next to nothing, and the perfume was incredible.
3: In-season flowers. Yes. It's Absolutely. like in-season vegetables. It's like, what's wrong exactly,
2: with it? You need Food. to go to what a farmer's market to see what's actually in season, don't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. yeah but, it, yeah, I
1: mean, you're right. You can go into a florist now and buy any Anything. sort of flower at any time of the year, <laughs> and there's no nothing special about it anymore.
0: Yep. Yep. So,
1: yeah, so we don't want daffodils all year, thank you. Yep. Okay. i quite happy not to. Yeah.
0: We're going to go to, we've had a caller on the outside line, talking about different bulb this time. Um, Sue wants to know when and how to propagate hyacinths.
1: Ooh. Um, one assumes she's talking about the big Dutch yes. florist hyacinths. Um, and commercially they scoop them, don't they, Will?
3: That's correct. Yeah, yes. so they, they
1: cut the, the, the bulb and scoop out the centre of the bulb. The, the basil plate. The basil plate bit. And then it produces lots of little baby bulbuls around it. But you've got to keep it really clean. You don't want to get any fungal infections into it or anything like that. Uh, and they need to be kept moist without being wet. Uh, and, of course, when you do produce the little bulbuls, it takes several years to build them up to flowering size in the home garden. i buy them. Yeah, look, sun bulbs are so inexpensive... why you would bother trying to propagate your own when you can buy half a dozen hyacinths for next to nothing and they're full flowering size bulbs and plant fresh ones every year if you want to.
5: Exactly. I mean I
1: I treat my tulips almost like that I just buy fresh tulips every couple of years if I get a second year out of some of them that's fine. Most of them stay in the ground so if they just keep on flowering that's good too because I've had a few varieties that seem to suit my climate quite well and have actually multiplied and kept flowering uh, which doesn't include any of the black ones far. Uh, they all seem to fade out fairly quickly. I get a season, maybe two out of most of the black tulips, and that seems to be it for my garden, at least. Uh, but some of the yellows and oranges go on. Uh, I mean, I planted one last year, which was a double yellow with red flaring through it, and, it, and flowered stunningly last year. I had, they were sort of cheek by jowl, these flowers. So they were, they were sort of like a mini Tesla's tulip festival, really. <laughs> uh, and this year, it looks like they am going to hard to get any flowers on them. So I think they were a once-offer for my garden. Is
3: that Monsella, was it? I, I, it was something like that, the name. It does well for us. It repeats. Quite does well, it well? It yeah.
1: doesn't look like mine are going to repeat at all this mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. I mean, th-
2: that's kind of that sounds weird to me. I know you know a lot of tulips are like that. You do only get one season out of them, and to me, that's not really like you. You spend quite a lot of money on the bulbs mm. relatively, so you'd want you know you'd expect them to sort well, of give I, I, you a I few treat, seasons at least. Well, maybe like they're an annual. Yeah, well, you, yeah, 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 I, I treat, treat them, them more like, like an annual. An, yeah. yeah, I know? see
1: them as dinner out for the garden. <laughs> It's it's a luxury and an indulgence. So uh, I don't mind – well, I, I love it if I get two or three years out of a particular tulip. Uh, and, even, and some tulips – I mean, I planted a whole pile of Monte Carlos years ago, and they're just about faded out now. And I must have got 10 years out of those things. They were fantastic. They just kept flowering and flowering. And there's an old orange tulip called Adrim that mm. tends to keep coming back year after year and flowers really well for me. And when I was talking to Teslas last year, they're not stocking it anymore, which is sad. We are. You are. Good. Because I think Adrem is one of the best of the tulips as far as long term in the garden. But I actually quite like planting something, enjoying it for the season and thinking, well, that's it. Now I can do something else. So there's also that sort of side of it as well. But so do you
2: give it a second season just in case? Uh,
1: most of them I will. Yeah. yeah but I think the, 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 the one I planted, the double red and yellow, has not proven itself good. So... Um, when I get a moment, I'll pull out all the bulbs and compost them um, and and I'll plant something else in there next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to say, although they were quite exciting, they were a little bit hectic even for me, these yellow and red stripy things. Mm. Uh, uh, they they were somewhat mitigated by a, a border of curly-leaf parsley around the edge of them, which actually looked quite smart. Uh, but even for me, the, the, the I think probably because tulips can do – such good primary colours, so well. Mm. I actually am not madly keen on the multi coloured ones. Yep. I think I prefer a clear red or a clear white or a yep. clear black or, or whatever. I think they make more impact in the garden in a way. Mm. So I'm actually not that disappointed that these ones haven't really performed again in their second year because it means that I'll get rid of them all and this summer I'll get some more tulip bulbs and I'll buy something else.
3: Mm. Um, mm. and try them out. Okay. I'll just pull you back to the question, Steve. <laughs> um, <laughs> we haven't yet. Oh, you're the so. yeah, sorry, yeah. Um, uh, the hyacinths, I'm sorry. Um, he's quite right. You do by scooping, and then they form little bubbles around the, the broken basal plate. And, and I, I'm in, in agreement with Steve that, um, it's an awful lot of effort. Oh, yeah. And it takes three years before you get a flowering bulb. And you need to dig them each year. You can't leave them in the ground once you've done it. And ideally, the growers will actually i think they keep them at thirty degrees over the summer so um, and that's that 's why we have trouble with hyacinths reflowering because you get them they, they look beautiful and then yeah. the next year they're sort of much thinner and they don 't have as many flowers and they and that 's because they need to be stored quite at a high temperature over the yeah. summer
1: so again another another sort of night out for the garden really but
3: that being said um, the last grower of hyacinths hyacinth, or professional grower of hyacinths has um, decided not to do it anymore so oh, we may oh. not be able to get hyacinths anymore really so, or no uh, oh that's a bit sad there insane. are yeah, some I people so. dabbling around and yeah
1: yeah because I, I love them just having sort of half a dozen bulbs in a pot buy the mm. bulbs flower them enjoy them in the pot and then discard them and start again next year and if i can't yeah. do that well then i just won't have hyacinth, Well, maybe sue could
2: say. take over
1: yeah.
3: Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um and that but that there is there is we we actually um have a have a um have the, the species, the true species yeah. of... Hy- was it um, Roman hyacinths, we call yeah, them? Um, yes, yeah.
1: hyacinthus orientalis. Centurius, yes, yeah. so there's a
3: white one, a blue one, and a pink one. And they're good doers, and mm-hmm. they multiply without being scooped and all that sort of stuff, and they reliably flower. Mm-hmm. And I think they're more charming because they're th- more daintier. and They've got more garden context. Mm-hmm.
1: I actually think the modern hybrid hyacinth is a pot plant, really, because I can't see how it... Presents in a garden. I've got some blue ones in the garden at the moment that Tesla's gave me last year at the uh, at the um, rare plant fair up in February. And I'd plonked them in the garden because I couldn't think of what to do with them. I was in a hurry and I just whacked them in the garden. And they've flowered their heads off and they're lovely, but they don't seem to. There's nothing around them that sort of. Works with them; they are just plonked, and they're just sitting there looking at me, yes. being quite self-conscious, really. Yes. So, yeah, they're an odd sort of bulb. I mean, um, yeah, they're a pot plant. I reckon
3: yep. it's yep. interesting. Actually, say that the modern hybrids because they're not that modern. No, well,
1: you're actually right. It's, but well, they're moderner than the species. True, <laughs> uh, but it's all comparative. Well,
2: you brought in some species. Yeah, last I bought Hyacinthus orientalis
1: in, in, a, so in yep. a week or two back yep. uh, mm-hmm. to show people because uh, I've got the blue one doing quite well at, uh, at the nursery. Uh, but it's funny because I think it's a. Chance Little bowl, but a lot of people just walk straight past it and think it's some sort of weird bluebell, and they don't, mm. they don't,
3: don't actually recognize take any it notice. as a hyacinth yeah. because it's completely different. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's, do you even know people say, oh, hyacinths don't smell like they used to? We, we have customers say, oh, they don't smell as nice as they used to. That's because no,
1: their scent glands have gone.
3: Exactly. <laughs> You're quite right. Well, they, like everything, our eyes decline, our scent declines too. Yeah. But that because all the varieties that we have now were all bred. Um, Two centuries ago now, they were all 18th century, 1850, 1860, 1870. Yeah. They're all so they're the same heirloom same. things, they're the yeah. same thing, and nothing's changed with them. But yes, um, yes. Of it's very hard to explain to people of, um, that that's why they can't smell it as well. Well, like I always or. say
1: to people, You do wear glasses now. Do you mm. think that your nose is not also losing its punch? <laughs> 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 mm.
3: uh,
0: okay, um, just very quickly, um, we picked out two of these, we were oh, yes. both having a look at them in the pot.
3: Okay, so the one, one here.
0: I mean, it's it's if you look at it clear closely, although it's it's got the yellow background petals, they go to white just at the base of the trumpet, and then the trumpet itself is almost a pinky orange. But if you look at the base of the trumpet, it it blends down to a yellow. So it's it's actually quite amazing. More than
1: a bicolor,
3: more than bicolor. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was, it was actually it bre- would have been its breeding would have been a reverse bicolor cross with a, a a pink daffodil, which is a white one with sort of an apricoty trumpet and yes, so you end up getting that, and it's, it's, the when you look at the flowers, often you get um, what they call bleeds, the colour bleeds from one side, one petal to the other, um, and that's how we've managed to pick up different colours and things, but also, sometimes the light reflects too, and makes it look different colours too, and then the, then the other thing about daffodils, when you look at them, they, uh, they change over time, they mature, or they fade, or whatever you like to say, so... This one here will probably, I suspect, will get more richer. The trumpet colour will become even richer again. So, it's 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 a very daffodils are fascinating. They they change, they change, and they they
0: they certainly change. And this
3: yeah. one, that Pam picked out, is um, uh, it's a, a white white daff. we got white petals. It's a very rounded flower, and the the trumpet itself has flattened, and hasn't really split, no, it but it's very gone frilly very there. frilly, Yes, yeah, yeah. extremely, very frilly. And I must admit, I it's again, that's one of my little um efforts is to, is to get frilliness in because people like a frilly daffodil. Eh? Mm. The, the the breeders don't like them because, and there's another one with a lovely yeah, frill around nice The breeders don't like them because, um, they sorry, the, the show people because what happens is when the um the, the flower opens up, they get what's called mittens, the um. The petal gets stuck on these sort of um, frilly bits and makes a little bit of a mark, and they don't like that because it has the shape of, you know, a, a, a mitten. Oh, um, and, okay. And that's fascinating. But well, um, I'll show you. I, a picture I, in a minute. Okay. Go. I
0: have to remind you that you have to get going. going.
3: Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, You'll have people. He's got a garden to gate. open yes. now.
0: Now, while Will's looking for, a, oh, you just found, found
3: it. it. This is my latest little treasure. Oh my goodness! Now that's How different. How do you describe that?
0: Oh.
2: Special.
3: That flower. Special is a good word. It is special. Yeah, it's um, it's a daffodil. <laughs> it's got a white. Um, the white petals are extremely white. They're really white, um, like sort of ice white. I suppose mm. you call it. Mm. Um, there's a little bit of yellow bleed at the base, and then don't go away. Um, and we're, I'm trying, describing a picture on my phone, by the way. And, should, <laughs> and then the cup itself has um, is yellow and it has the most intense blood-red rim, which is slightly ruffled. It just jumps it. out at you, doesn't it? it? Oh, look, I, well, I saw this from about 50 metres, I reckon. Yes. Uh, you, I you should call it startled or something. Yes, <laughs> well, I, I was startled, but I must Yeah, say, well, uh, I, reckon I was uh, startled when I saw the uh, picture, so yeah, I think so, it should be called
1: startled if there's not uh, already a daffodil called startled. So that was a
3: stunning find. That was a couple of days ago I saw that, so that'll be my job tonight to go and dig it out and put it in a safe place. Oh, Yeah, absolutely. somewhere where you can keep tabs on it. That yeah.
0: is different. Um, well, we should remind listeners that uh, the nursery is open today, today. R- every day, right through until the end of September, um, 11 till 4 on weekdays. That's right.
3: 10, Ten till, till four. 5. 10 till 5. 10
0: till 5 on the weekends. That's right. So people can go up there today. The address is, it's on the corner of Belgrave and Gembrook Roads and the, sorry, the Belgrave Gembrook Road and Grand Tula Road in Menzies Creek. So, um,
3: and there's, there's we've got a display garden which has um, got daffodils in rows. You can sort of, sort of compare them with each other. We've also, this year, last winter, we um, spent a bit of time redoing the rock, well, m- making another rockery. At the end of doing it, I looked at it and I thought, that's as big as most people's garden. <laughs> <laughs> but it, we've, so now the whole garden itself has got, rockeries around all three sides and so it's looking quite interesting there where there's lots of things in the rockery and we're slightly working that up. I have to come see Steve for a few plants, I think. (laughs) We've, You'd be welcome. Which as long I, as you bring well, me some stuff. Uh, now, that
1: little Triandris hybrid
3: could be up um, for that. Talking about, we've got some miniature conifer which is getting smothered. That, is now time to move it or shall uh, Well, it? I wouldn't leave it much longer. Yeah, to move if that's you're what move I want a conifer, I'd want to move it fairly. Yeah, that's why I said to Chris, he oh, said, they're too busy now. I said, no, I've got to do it when it's done. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, so, it's a nice display. And in indoor, the it's inclement or um, whatever, or you're in a wheelchair or whatever, we have an indoor display too with, um, of vases of flowers on the on the display. And... You can place orders for for the bulbs you can't live without, and um, we also have um, some in pots as well for those who can't wait. Fantastic, and cut
0: brilliant. And okay, fatties. great to see you again, Will. Keep up the good work. I mean, it's it's just stunning what you're doing with daffodils. I'm, I'm really in awe of of how you're producing some of these incredible. I mean, they're just daffodils you wouldn't see around the normal traps. They really are amazing.
3: Thank you, Pam. Thanks. Okay. And, T A B and Steve. Always, yeah, we'll catch always up with good you. To soon. catch up with Steve, Steve was down at the Kite Show. Chris was down there for the opening. Oh, you mean the Lee and Gathers Show? Lee and Gatha yes, Show. Yes, sorry. yes, 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 yes,
1: yes. I did catch up with Chris down there, and mm. and and that very tall son.
3: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's just tall. And yeah, it was. It's a, it's a great show. Mm.
0: Excellent. Okay, you are listening to the Three CR Gardening Show. We're running through until nine fifteen. So if you want to. Jump on the phones and ask a gardening question. The number to ring is 94190155. That's 94190155. Stephen, you've brought some plants in that we we haven't had a chance to talk about.
1: Uh, yes, I did, and they have nothing to do with daffodils, funnily enough. No, okay. Um, actually, one of the things I bought in today is, is a particularly bizarre and interesting plant, well, or not, not to say that I don't grow lots of particularly bizarre and interesting plants, but this is actually an auricaria, so the Norfolk Island pine, bunya pine, monkey puzzle family trees. And this one is auricaria Montana, and it comes from the high summits of New Caledonia, uh, and New Caledonia is the epicentre of the genus. We have three Australian species, if you include the Norfolk Island pine as being part of Australia. Um, and uh, New Caledonia has something like eight or nine species and South America has two. Um, so the Orocaria family is very well represented in New Caledonia. And Oricaria montana is soft. It's not stiff and hard and prickly like a lot of the other Orocarias. And it makes this sort of almost broadly conical-shaped mass of fluff uh, when it's in full leaf. So it's one of the prettiest and softest of all the areas. It's quite rare, as is most of the New Caledonian flora, uh, and it's certainly quite hard to get in Australia. So it's quite a, a rare tree here. Uh, and like the other auric areas, it'll grow well in sandy soils. It'll grow. It's fairly drought-tolerant once it gets its roots down. seems to cope with salt winds, copes with you know, coastal sort of gardening, uh, and yet I can grow it perfectly well at Macedon. So it is a remarkably interesting genus. So yeah, so it will eventually grow to a sizeable tree, but most of us will be dead before it does that. And it certainly doesn't grow to the vast size that a Norfolk Island pine will grow. So if you are going to plant a tree in a more suburban-sized garden, then Araucaria Montana could actually be a worthy subject. Almost so, has
2: a bit of a pisonia look about it. It no? does actually. It's actually
1: yes, it it it, it, it. it 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 has a little bit of that sculptural look that. Most auricarias get that sort of I always say it looks like somebody, a committees put them together instead of a, <laughs> an individual. They're, they're sort of all very uh, organized. formal and yeah. organised. Um, but um, this one's a little bit less so than some, and there's a good specimen of it growing in, well, in several specimens of different species, in fact, of auric area, uh growing in the New Caledonian border down at the Melbourne Botanic Gardens, which I think is well worth a visit to. Um, And so there's a nice uh, plant of Auricaria Montana down there that's probably five or six metres tall now. Um, And I just thought it was an interesting plant that you just don't see around. Uh, It's certainly not available commercially very often. I got my first plants to sell of it this year. Uh, So there's now trees in Australia starting to produce cones. So now we can be sort of a bit self-sufficient in in growing them. But they'll never be a plant that you'll see everywhere. You won't buy one of these in the chain stores or whatever. Uh, You have to go to a specialist grower to get them. And I always maintain that we can always have something different in our garden from our neighbours. We don't have to plant the same thing we may not have a lamborghini in the garage or picasso on the wall unless it's a print um but we can have a plant that other people haven't got so it's sort of fun to have something that's a bit unique and different uh and of course when people come to visit your garden they'll say what's that Mm. um and i think that's always a win-win situation because when people ask what's that they get to learn something because you tell them about it and you get to look smart I so, was,
2: yeah, I was down at uh, Wilson Botanic Park oh, like yesterday. I had not been
1: the, down there for yonks. Oh,
2: I hadn't either. And it was just wonderful to have a, have a wander around. They had a, a um, native plant sale down there, oh. which was the, the main reason I went down there. Um, but they've got a few new plantings of araucaria So it was great to sort of wander around and see the differences between the mm. foliage because often when you see them by themselves and then you see another one by itself, yeah, you're it's oh, no, what tell, what is yeah. the difference? But seeing them all together, I, I was running from one to the yeah. other just to have a look yeah. at the different and, foliage. And
1: look, I think... Southern Hemisphere conifers particularly have had something of a resurgence in interest over the last few years with the discovery of the Woolamai Pine, uh, all that sort of thing. People have suddenly thought, oh, conifers, they're not all sort of spruces from the woods of North America exactly. or whatever. Yep. Uh, we do have some interesting Southern Hemisphere stuff. And carrier is a genus that, only comes from the Southern Hemisphere uh, and is restricted to the sort of Gondwan and sort of things of Australia, New Caledonia and, and, and South America.
2: And it does; ha- they do have that really ancient look about oh, them, yeah, don't they? That yeah. real kind of fossil look. Yeah, like, they yeah, do. You know, they Grow a know. dinosaur in your backyard.
1: Well, if you've got a fibreglass dinosaur in your backyard, you have to have one of these growing next to it, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, now, another plant I wanted to talk about, and before it finishes flowering, because it is on the last gasp, so it's a little hard to see, but this is, a, again, a very rare plant. It's uh, uh, on the endangered species list, uh, and it comes from Korea. Uh, And it's a thing called abeliofilum. So it has leaves like an abelia, basically. But it's actually related to the forsythias, you know, the yellow forsythias of spring. Uh, And it gets little tiny white flowers. They're scented, not strongly, but they are scented out of virtually black flower buds and it's just a little arching deciduous shrub, only grows to about a metre, metre and a half, uh, arching branches, and in the late winter it comes out with a mass of these little 4 petaled starry white flowers. There's also a very, very soft pink version of it, Um, and it's a reasonably hardy little shrub. It doesn't seem to be particularly difficult to grow. It doesn't want to be in the hottest, driest spot you can find, but otherwise fairly hardy, and coming from the mountains of Korea, it's very cold hardy, so it, it won't, be worried if you take it to Dalesford or somewhere like that where you get those really really cold winters Um, and it when it's in full bloom it picks quite well so it's a nice thing to pick for sprays in the house Uh, and yes it's just a really rare plant that you don't see grown and sold very often Uh, I don't find it particularly difficult to propagate so I'm a little bemused as to why it's not actually out in the trade at all really to speak of I mean you can get it from me I'm sure you'd get it from the Yamina boys up in the Dandenongs but that would be about it
2: I just wonder, I mean, because looking at it, it's quite twiggy and open. Yeah. And, you know, we've got this sort of a bit of a fascination with really dense shrubs oh. rather than, you know, open flowing yeah. shrubs a- letting them do their thing.
1: I can't agree with you more. People seem to think that everything has to has be It has to be dense and, yeah, yeah, that
0: you can't see through it. And yet something they look like at that, it, that is… Each plant is an individual plant. They don't look at the garden scape.
1: Yeah. I think they want to see Well, bushy you need
0: things, the because, openness. Yeah, yeah of, you do. Of, you to do. To look through. Uh, do
1: you have but I reckon flow? people want it really bushy because they're frightened the neighbours will see what they're up to. Uh, so everything's got to be dense and bushy. Uh, and I do love light, airy, open shrubs. Whereas a lot of people would look at that and go straggly. They yeah. wouldn't say yeah, yeah. light and airy, that's they'd what I mean. say I wonder straggly. I if that's
2: one of the reasons why it's not popular.
1: It could be. It could well be. Uh, but I think it's a charming little plant. And because it has that open structure, and I'm glad you sort of bought that side of it up it's one of those plants you can have slightly more to the front of a border even though it might grow slightly taller than some of its compatriots in the bed but you can see through it so Mm. you can actually see things behind it and other plants around so you can pull it forward which you want to do anyway because of the perfume of the flowers so you want to have it close to the edge of a border and at sort of 1 to 1.5 meters it's getting tall enough to sort of hide things if it was really dense and bushy and it's not Mm.
0: and that's one of those Sorry, AB. The the other advantage of, of having something that's that's a bit more open is firstly you're getting dappled light coming through mm. into the garden. Secondly, you can plant underneath oh, because yeah. because you haven't suddenly got this dense shade mm. where nothing will grow underneath. Yeah. Virtually, or
1: if it does grow underneath, you can't see it. Yes, whereas through something like an abelia filling, you imagine having little drifts of snowdrops or small daffodils or primroses, I mean, there's a whole range of lovely sort of spring ephemerals that you could plant underneath a shrub like that. Exactly. Enjoy them when the shrub is basically bare but still in flower um, so that you've got a combination thing happening. And then in the summer when it's in leaf, there's still enough light getting through where you could have other things coming and going under it as well. And
0: so you've got a much more interesting garden, multifaceted garden. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah so and I was just going to say, from a design point of view, I mean, a lot of designers will say for people who've got really small gardens, um, a trick is to plant something close to the house yeah. that you can actually see through because that actually extends the size of the garden mm. visually. So that that's a classic yeah. example of one. So a very. Now I got plant.
1: into trouble the other day from one of my clients when they came into the nursery. They said, "You don't repeat the names often enough." Still, <laughs> right. So I will re-repeat the name. It's Abeliofilum. So A B E L I. O P H Y double its species is distichum. Uh, there is only one species, so, you know, as I said, there's a pale pink version of it called Rosia, but there's only one species of, B- of abeliofilum, so it's a monotypic genus, and it's related to the well-known yellow forsythias. Okay. So um, as far as I know, I'm the only one with the pale pink version because I imported it from America, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, and I've only just started to really propagate from it. Um, but the white one is beautiful and the pale pink one I only imported because it wasn't here. I mean, really, in a sense, it's almost a non-issue. I mean, it doesn't really matter which you plant. The, the pale pink is very pale, uh, so, you know, it's almost the white. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just think it's a, an interesting little plant. And there's lots of those sort of interesting little plants out there that people aren't, in fact, growing. Um, and it sort of almost leads on to the, my last plant, um, which is in one of those genera that people sort of have ignored, for a long time, and that's the Hypericums. Uh, I mean, there are weedy hypericums, which always adds a layer of controversy around a genus, Uh, but the weedy hypericum's are little sort of annually, biennially self-seeding things, but there's some really good shrubby hypericums uh, that have no weed potential whatsoever uh, and make elegant and attractive plants in the garden and flower and flower and flower. And the one I brought along this morning is Hypericum roellan, which is a... Hybrid that was found in Roallan Gardens in Ireland, um, and hence named after the garden. There's also one called Hidkit, uh, named obviously after, after Hidkit Manor. Yep. Um, and Roallan is a sh- it, its main parent was I think Hypericum lechenaultii, which is an upright but arching, semi-evergreen shrub to about four metres. Roallan is similar in form to Leshanoltii but apparently hardier in Europe. So it's more cold hardy Um, and it grows about the three metre tall mark and it gets these big yellow buttercups on it. Uh, And this is a little out of season, although having said that, it can throw flowers all year round. But most of the time it's from mid spring through to late autumn, it is in flower. So, I mean, if you are really determined to get colour in your garden over a long season, then some of these shrubby hypericums are really hard to toss. Mm. And they are a really good, clear, bright daffodil yellow. In mm. fact, if you put them with a daffodil, they're Identical. exactly yes, a daffodil yeah. yellow. But um, a
2: lovely buttercup shape almost. With a
1: beautiful yeah. buttercup-shaped flower. And this really pretty, again, airy, open-formed shrub, although in this case it grows up much taller than the abelio so you'll get sort of a two to three metre shrub. But it's Sort of vaguely amorphous and see through. Uh, And it does tend to become a little trunky at the bottom. So, you know, you can underplant it and things with other plants. And it just flowers and flowers and flowers. And they're hardy. They'll grow in any sort of reasonably cultivated, sunny to semi shaded aspect in the garden. Uh, And like a lot of these. Um, shrubs that you get in your garden all you have to do with it is every so often go through and clean out some of the older stems so you just refurbish it and you do that every few years if things get completely out of hand you can cut it to the ground and start it off again uh, and it will reshoot again Uh, and in fact with a big root system under it if you cut it back really hard it will virtually replace itself in a season so it will come back up again and you'll virtually have a new plant of it uh, all in one growing season. And I just think they're underutilised. I love yellow in the garden. Some people yes, seem to have I a problem it with too. it. But uh, I think yellow is such a wonderful colour in the garden. Uh, and, and the hypericums do yellow exceedingly well. Uh, and and oh, it's dropping its petals as we talk. Uh, and uh, there's a whole range of different species and cultivars out there, and I just think they're underused. And mm. most of them have got an airy lightness about them, which I find quite appealing. Mm. And mm. their long flowering periods, fantastic. Mm. So, Hypericum allen is that particular one. Uh, I do actually grow one or two of the species of the shrubby hypericums. I also grow Hidkit, um, and they all have slightly different forms, shapes, flower sizes, and what have you. But they're all yellow, and they all do it for months. Yep. So they're a great, useful group of plants. Excellent. So they're the things I brought along this morning. Good. Um, we've seen, Before we go yeah. to
0: AB's plants, um, we've got a, a caller. She's got an inner-city inner um garden. She, it's an ornamental garden, wants to know when to mulch. She's already bought the lucerne. We've just had rain. Now, I'd be mulching absolutely today, now. Today. Absolutely. Out in
1: the garden. Before
0: we get any of the hot weather that's going to dry out your garden. Yep.
1: Yes. Now is the time. So if you've bought a whole pile of lucerne hay, good on you because it's good stuff. Uh, and I would get it on the ground as soon as you can. I mean, I've been, what I do actually, and this may be of interest to some people, is I weed. I fluff the ground a little bit at this time of the year. Aerated. You know, to get a little bit of air in, and then the last rains can also get down into the ground quite nicely. So I get a fork and I fluff the ground. I then generally put down some compost if I've got some, or I might throw down some manure or anything I've got, and then I put my mulch over the top. Perfect. And that really does a lot of good things. It
0: sets you up for the summer.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and and the ground will be clean of weeds unless there's anything that pops up in the loosened, but most of those things can be pulled easily and thrown back onto the ground again. Uh, I mean, I laugh at people who worry about pea straw because they get peas, <laughs> and I think you just get more mold. It's a free crop. Yeah, so... I the actually
0: p- pick the little, the little um, you know, shoots that come up and throw them into a salad. Well, you
1: could. I generally let them grow a little bit and then just break them off at ground level, and throw them back onto the ground again because I get more free mulch. <laughs> I have to
2: say, with the, mul- with the um, hay, though, also if you've got a veggie garden, I'd hold off on, on mulching anything because you want that soil oh, to warm yeah. up a bit. It's different you? in the veggie so, garden. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Oh, yes, the veggie garden is different. On. And, uh, you know, in a way, we – mulch everything but we have brought in a hell of a lot of weed seeds with with the hay and straw that we bring in so yeah you've got to keep on top of it it, Mm -hmm. but it's worth it i mean you still need to get that
1: mulch on and you still need to get that that organic material into the ground and that's what mulch does long term
0: exactly um just before we go to our next caller too uh we did have a listener earlier wanting to know um what our theme music is um it is called the floral dance it's Hence why we use it. <laughs> yeah, It's a traditional tune and uh, the particular artist that's playing um, that track is Georges Zamfer, mm-hmm. very well, well known for his I don't know what I do on a Sunday
1: morning without that, no, th- I that know. theme music now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It, got, it, it actually got deleted out of out of the system and and uh, station management had to go and find me another copy in a hurry, which well, it, was hard should. to come by, Ooh. I might add. So we, we're guarding it with our life now. Oh, good. <laughs> okay, let's go next to uh, Ray and Ray's down in Cape Patterson. Good morning, Ray. Uh,
6: good morning, everybody.
1: Yeah, uh, how can we help you this morning, Ray?
6: My question is, uh, can I use Dynamic Lifter for feeding camellias, and all sorts of fruit trees.
1: Yes, although... I wouldn't overuse it around camellias no, because it does either. have a tendency to be a bit alkaline, being a, uh, right. based on a, a on a poultry manure. Right. You can use a little bit of it. It won't do any harm because it, uh, it will give certain elements to the camellias that other things won't. But I wouldn't overuse it around anything that does seem to prefer an acid soil. Although having said that, we recently walked through the camellia collection at the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne and it's looking a bit frowzy, I have to say. Uh, and one of the camellia experts that was with our group said that they all need a good of dolomite.
5: Okay. So, oh, right.
1: yeah, yeah, so calcium is required by camellias apparently. Um, so I wouldn't be frightened of using it around your camellias, but I just wouldn't overdo it. Um, right. But certainly around your fruit trees and things, your veggie garden, most of your ornamental beds, your roses, right. uh, all that sort of stuff, they'll love it. So probably
6: I'd be, would I be better to get the azalea camellia food... Uh,
1: no, not necessarily, because again, you—if you're buying those sort of products, you're looking at something that's a um, uh, basically a chemical fertilizer, mm. which I'm never in favour of anyway. All right. Uh, I, I think if I was feeding azaleas, rhododendrons, and camellias, uh, instead of using the dynamic lifter in quantity, uh, I'd go out and get myself some bags of um, cow manure. Animal manure. Yeah, That's what yeah, I'd be using. Any of the ruminators, things like cow yep. manure, sheep manure, aardvark oh. manure, any of those things <laughs> would elephant be Elephant poo. Yeah, elephant poo. You know, right, any of those okay. things would be better. Uh, right. And, of course, blood and bone is always uh, acceptable for things like rhodies, azaleas, camellias. Okay.
6: What, what sort of... Quantity.
1: How, how do I judge what to put on it? Uh, consider you feeding like you're spicing food and not making a cake. So what I mean is you, you sprinkle it around as a sort of a, an adjunct onto the soil. You don't make layers of stuff. It doesn't have to be exacting uh, how much you put down, but always be on the, the Spartan side with fertiliser and yeah. on the generous side with mulches and composts.
6: And then
1: we'll water it all in? Water it down, uh, and if you're putting down fertilisers like that, remember that they will encourage weed growth, so it's probably a good idea to throw a mulch over the top.
6: Okay, and how often, am I, particularly with the camellias?
1: Oh, look, once or twice a year is more than more than adequate, right. particularly considering that things like camellias, roadies and azaleas have a growth spurt every spring. That's when they need to have the... the nutrients there uh so you certainly want to get it down fast if you're going to help them with their growth this year and then they stop so they don't need a lot of feeding later in the season for the you know summer autumn they don't really need to be fed but i would get a a light feed down in the late summer autumn when the rains first come and then a a winter feed down a little later on and that's all you'd probably give any of that sort of stuff
6: could i mix um uh, so a little a little of the dynamic lifter
0: with some blood and bone together yeah. and put yeah. that in? Yeah, no it's reason hurt.
1: why not. Just don't use twice as much of anything. Ah, uh, okay. So use about the same amount, but yeah, mix them together. I mean, you, you're not going to create a chemical reaction that's going to explode right. in the garden or anything. Yeah. It's fine. In fact, I've always been a great believer in diversity. So the more diversity of products you use on the ground, the more diversity of nutrients, trace elements and minerals that you're putting in. Okay. So with, yeah. the, with, with
6: the fruit trees... Using dynamic lifter, uh, I think I read the packet. It said um, uh, a handful per square meter yeah. by the years.
2: The uh, age of the of tree. Flood. That's
6: right. Yeah. So if I've got to say a nine square meter fruit tree, um, so that that's that's about forty odd handfuls. Is that too much?
1: I probably wouldn't need I don't think you need to put that much down. Uh I would moderate the amount uh as the trees get older because they're they're getting a lot of their own nutrients from what's in the ground already. Yeah. So you're only just topping up. So I don't think you need forty handfuls, but maybe you put down twenty. Yeah, okay.
6: You know, so yeah, yeah, you totally can't heavy.
1: you can't underdo it, but you can certainly overdo some things.
6: Um, our soil out here is just, just grey sand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. So it
1: gobbles up anything and it disappears.
6: Okay, that's fine. All right, okay, fantastic. Then. Thanks for your help. Okay. That's
1: a pleasure, Ray. Bye.
0: Bye now. Uh, AB, we've just very quickly got time oh, yes, so you've got one, got one of my we plants. Have? Well,
2: I, I brought in one. I've never grown it before, and I, I thought, oh, so I'll get some tips from Stephen. Oh, here um, we go. So this is a um, it's a plant called Cinsipalum dulciferum. Alright,
1: you won't get much information from Stephen because I've never heard of it.
2: Okay, it's miracle fruit and, and I've actually bought it for the fruit rather than the plant itself because what it is, it's a, a small red fruit and mm. when you eat it, it changes your taste buds. So any sour fruits and vegetables and other foods taste sweet.
1: Ooh, it sounds like a bit of weirdness to me yeah, going on yeah, in the kitchen garden. No,
2: but it's really interesting, and, and I mean the thing I like about it is it's still a gorgeous shrub. It's, an, it's got
1: a good foliage. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's from so West, where's its Af- habitat? West Africa.
1: West Africa. So uh-huh. it's going
2: to be a little bit tricky, maybe, to grow. But um, cold I, I might,
1: might be your problem. It absolutely, yes. might depending be on a where in West Africa it comes from. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, that,
2: that's true. It does come from quite a high rainfall area, and yeah. it, it has two fruiting periods a year. And um, but uh, yeah, I thought I'd give it a go. Um, it's got beautiful green, deep green yeah. foliage. grows round about um, between two and four meters, they say. I think mm. maybe in my area it's not going to get as high, but um, yeah. Well, if it, Mir- it got to a couple, fruit.
1: Yeah, if it got to a couple of meters tall with its good evergreen foliage on it, it would be a very telling. It's a handsome shrub. plant. Isn't it, it is. It? It's a handsome yeah. plant. Yeah. Um, and look, good on you, AB. I think it's really important that we should all play in our gardens and try things you know have a crack at something you've never grown before I mean you can find out quite a lot of information about you know something from its habitat and you know and information on labels and things will help a bit um and you can do lots of googling and things like that to find out about things but the look the worst thing you can learn about trying something new in your garden is that you probably shouldn't have grown it in the first place because it died uh but you've still at least learned from that uh and if you don't try some things I mean I've got things in my garden that I shouldn't have you know, that they're too cold sensitive supposedly or or whatever and shouldn't be growing in the Macedon Ranges, uh, but finding just the right little habitat for it or fluking the right little habitat for it sometimes is all it's about. Mm. Um, and so I can then thumb my nose at the other experts and say, well, look, I've got a philodendron growing in my garden at Mount Macedon. So there. <laughs> so why shouldn't you? You know, I mean, that's just what it's all about. It's the Absolutely. fun of gardening. Yep. So I don't think a miracle fruit would be, Probably a chance at Macedon, but I'd give it a crack.
2: Absolutely. And I, I mean, I will report back once, oh, I get, yes. once I get the fruit because as soon as I heard about it, I was like, I have to grow that fruit. Imagine how many people you could trick. Just have a bite of this and have and a, then bite have of a this lemon. lemon. Yeah. Have a lemon. And yeah, I
1: it. grow the sweetest lemons you've <laughs> yeah. ever tasted. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a fantastic idea, and I love the concept. So, I think yeah. kids
2: would love it too. Of okay. course they
1: would. And I, I have to say, if it's cold-sensitive, I would grow it on in a pot for a year or two yeah, and keep it idea. in a sheltered well, spot I'm... in the winter and then pull it out for the summer yep. and try and adjust it because sometimes it's a matter of getting a plant used to the environment, and that's what I've done with my citrus trees and other things at home. I've planted them when the cold was over, give them as long as possible to get established before the first set of coal comes in, all that sort of stuff.
0: Okay, we've run out of time for yet another week. Um, A quick reminder, we were speaking earlier uh, with Will... Ashburner from Hancock's Daffodils. He does have the daffodil farm open to the public right through until the end of September. The address is 101 Grantula Road in Menzies Creek. Melways reference there is 124E11. Uh, admission is free. You'll see absolutely thousands of daffodils in bloom. Um, you can you Any can order bulbs for yes, absolutely. So I do recommend you uh, you take a little drive up to to Menzies Creek uh, sometime over the next day or so. But we must uh, go for now. A big thank you to Vicky who's been handling all the calls this morning. And uh, we'll see everyone next Sunday at 7.30. Until then, bye for now.